Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Sunday, January 28th, 2024. And my guest today is, well, a return guest, and in fact, an infamous return guest, the infamous Amy from Sydney. Well, Amy from Sydney, I take it you are in Sydney right now? I am in Sydney right now, beautiful sunny Sydney. We've had a scorcher of a weekend and we're loving it. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. And you sound upbeat and happy. So I'm assuming that life is generally treating you pretty well. Yes, John, it is actually treating me pretty well. Just off the back of a long weekend, we've had a public holiday here on Friday for Australia Day. And I've had a lovely weekend hanging out with friends, hanging out at home, just enjoying life. Well, up until this afternoon anyway. Off the back of regular financial advice that gets shoved around, I decided to have a look at an online investing app that's very popular here in Australia called eToro. And, of course, you need to create an account to do that, don't you? One of the first questions is, are you a US person? Hold on. I've taken a screenshot here. I've got the exact question. I can bring that up. You check a box that says, I am not a US person slash I was not born in the US. And if you're not able to check that box, you receive a notification saying, unfortunately, we can only accept US citizens who live in the US. Sorry. Please confirm two residents. Hold on a minute. Where, where were you born? I was born in Australia. Read the questions again. There's a checkbox that says, I am not a US person, forward slash, I was not born in the US. I'm a US person, am I not, John, as a dual citizen? I've been told I have I don't to know how any, you don't sound very US to me. I don't know how anybody would know what it is. There, is there a definition of US person there? Uh, I think it's a rather vague definition, to be honest. But it's clear you were not born in the US. That part's clear. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I could easily. I mean, you know, you have this sort of sophisticated knowledge of all this stuff, right? But you know, a normal person. I mean, if you were to walk up and down this, why don't you get out? You know, stand outside where the number of people are walking by one day and say, "Hi, do you know what a U.S. person is?" I mean, what kind of answers do you think you would get? I think most people who live in Australia would say, oh, well, that's obviously an American person, person who moved from America to here. It would not occur to the average Australian that a dual citizen who was born in Australia would count as a US person. In fact, most of my friends who live here are rather shocked to hear that I am included in this. Well, well that's my point. I mean, you know, obviously... You know, I think you you know you, you never check off things that you know to be false, but you know you you have all this knowledge. I mean, it would seem to me that you know a majority of people looking at those two questions would say, "Well, you know, I, I mean, I understand I was not born in the United States. Check it off and be done with it." I would think so too, John, because if you don't know about the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act or similar legislation. And you happen to be a dual citizen. And in some cases, people don't even know that they're dual citizens until they find out under these circumstances. 
I do think a lot of those people would check the box, go through, sign up, and get caught out later. I mean, why would they ever get caught out? I mean, you know, so they get past, you know, the the barrier. They they cleared the barrier. You know, they've established that they're a human being, okay, (laughs) and not something else. And isn't that the end of it? One would think. I mean, is there any indication there that you get a follow-up saying, oh, by the way, we just want to make sure that you understood when you checked. (laughs) Are you sure that you know where you were born? They don't seem to. So, So the bottom line is that you were trying to be a good Australian by trying to take some responsibility for your financial planning and all that so you don't become a public charge of the state. And you feel that this particular platform doesn't want you because of the circumstances of your birth? It would seem that way, wouldn't it? Well, I guess this is a first world problem. But it is a problem nevertheless. Well, you've been you've been thinking about this now for, for quite a long time. And you know, I think Would you agree that for a lot of people when they first hear about this, there's this sort of sense of, well, there must be something I'm missing. The more I learn about this, finally I'll learn that really I was mistaken and this is not a problem. Well, my first year of being involved in this was not that long ago. I remember being shocked and I really did think that all I had to do was find the appropriate checkbox, find the appropriate legislation, and there would be some kind of a something that would put me out of this. Because there's no way somebody like me could ever be of interest to the IRS. Well, you know, that may or may not be true, okay? But isn't isn't a better question uh, why somebody like you should even be considered to be of interest to the IRS at all, given that you don't live in the United States. I mean, isn't that, isn't that the more important question? I think so. so. So really, you know, you're in a situation where it seems to me that you're really being hindered in taking responsibility for, import, for an important aspect of your life. Uh, and an important aspect of life of all Australian citizens, right? Hope so. <laughs> but yeah, nobody seems to be taking any interest in this as a problem, right? So let's start with the government of Australia. Australia, I believe, is a country that won't allow immigration from people who they believe are likely to be public charges. And this is the case, you know, with, with many countries, right? Yes. But you are being certainly discriminated against, but in more practical terms, you are being significantly hindered from being able to do things that are encouraged and frankly required of all Australian residents. That is to take responsibility for yourself, right? Right. But yet, Australia, the Australian government doesn't here hasn't given any indication about caring about this at all. Is that is that your impression? That is my take on it. In fact, I wrote to the treasurer about six months ago, Jim Chalmers, 
And I re- did receive a, re- a reply from a staffer at his office. The gist of that reply was, we are aware that this is a problem. We're so sorry it's a problem. Take it up with the US government. All they have to do is not sign the FATCA IGA. That's all they had to do, and I would not have had the problem today. And they could tighten up the tax treaty while they're at it because no Australian income or asset should be US taxable. Now, I say that's true all around the world. Well, it seems to me that there's also around for perhaps signing a fact to IGA, but interpreting the fact to IGA is not applying to Australian residents. You know, the reason for this, this this is interesting, I don't think this has been significantly explored, but the basis for the IGAs, you know, they all start with these, you know, recitals about how the U.S. and Australia have a tax tree. You know, this is sort of an extension of it. But the exchange of information provisions, or maybe not exchange, but the delivering of information to the United States about an Australian taxpayer I actually have a limitation that it's not in the public interest to do so, right? So I wonder, you know, clearly it's not in the public interest, the public interest of Australia, for the government of Australia to agree to send information about its own residents to the United States, right? Right. I mean, there's a clear distinction between... Australia sending information about a U.S. account that's owned by somebody who does not live in Australia, not a tax resident of Australia, and Australia sending information about its own residents to the yes. Those are very, very different things. Yeah, um, I see what you're saying, John, and I, I have heard that that was actually the basis of FATCA originally was because homeland U.S. citizens were using the international banking system for tax evasion purposes. Now, how many of them were actually doing that is anyone's guess, but I dare say not a whole lot. But they have entrapped the rest of us into this, not just the high net worth homelanders. Well, very, very clearly, by defining the prey, if you will, Right, the object of the hunt. All right. As anybody who's a US citizen, I mean, even if we're looking at this from the perspective of US residents, that is far, far broader, right, than whatever the subset is of tax abatement, which I suspect is very, very, very small. But then when we expand it to US citizens living outside the United States, trying to live a normal life, it gets even more absurd. But then when we expand it further to people who never lived in the United States, right, were born outside the United States, or moved from the United States as children, I mean, the thing is absolutely beyond absurd. I would agree with that. Now, I know that you've had some meetings and things with various people on this topic. What is the response you get when you point that out to them? I don't think they understand what you're talking about, honestly. Oh. I, you know, and even thinking about this now for 
a lot longer than almost anybody in the U.S. would would think about this at all. And I don't think that, at least in the United States, I don't think that a critical mass of people even understand what citizenship taxation is. No, they don't. I think that they perhaps equate it with residency, you know, or something. I mean, you know, very, very strange things. The the reality of citizenship taxation is that it has meaning, real, actual meaning, meaning only in the following sense, that U.S. citizenship taxation is a form of taxation that imposes U.S. worldwide taxation on people who don't live in the United States. That's all it means, right? Because, you know, if you live in the United States, you're subject to worldwide taxation like the rest of the world. If you have U.S. source income, you're going to be subject to that, as you are with the rest of the world. But what they call citizenship taxation is really imposing worldwide taxation, which includes non-U.S. source income on people who do not live in the United States, right? Right. So I think that part of the problem is calling it citizenship taxation because it obscures what it really is. I would agree with that, and that's been my experience with a lot of people that I've spoken to as well. Their, their understanding is that I'm just a average U.S. citizen who's just living in Australia temporarily. They've obviously never heard my accent. but. They don't seem to understand that they're taxing people who've never lived in the United States on income that has nothing to do with the United States. And we've all been accused of being tax cheats by various homelanders on Twitter because and other social media platforms because they think we are cheating, they think that we are freeloading, what they don't realize is that the US is actually not supplying any of our benefits of citizenship anyway, because they can't. The US cannot build the road that I need in Sydney. They can't. They can't take care of hospitals here in Australia or schools or anything else. They simply can't. Australia is doing all of that. Yeah, but mainly US is useless for this. I agree with you on that completely, right? But let's explore the assumption of your of your statement and thought for a minute, right? So by saying that, you're obviously of the view that taxation is related, it's sort of the quid pro quo for providing services or something, right? Yes. <laughs> that is absolutely not the U.S. view of taxation at all. It is not the U.S. view of taxation, not according to their government anyway. They've told us all, if you want the right to say that you're a citizen, then you must pay. Well, all that is true. But let's let just slice and dice these ideas just a little bit here. Because, you know, I mean, having been an observer of this for, for a number of years, I mean, I frequently see the objection to this. Mm you know, that the U.S. doesn't provide services or something, you know, in exchange for this. And that may be true, 
but I wonder how relevant that objection really is. You know, because the U.S. never claimed tax on the basis of providing services. The U.S. tax system is only for the purpose of raising money to do with what it wants. You know, very little obligation to provide any services at all. Well, I mean, what services do, you know, do American citizens get from the, from the U.S. anyway? I would hope that they're getting their roads. I'm not sure about hospitals. They're probably getting their schools. Well, but they, not really they sure. aren't funded by federal taxes. Or, you know, at least schools, right? I and mean, this would be local stuff, right? I mean, perhaps, you know, roads to some extent, perhaps. I mean, I'm not entirely sure on this, right? Perhaps they would argue the U.S. defense umbrella is what they get. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, it's not like, you know, you're a U.S. citizen and you go to the U.S. consulate in Australia. I mean, anything they do for you, they're going to charge you, right? That's right. Well, it's all fee-based stuff. So, you know, I, it seems to me that... that I mean, not only does this have nothing to do with the provision of services, but they never claimed it did. So it's, why are we expecting to pay anything? Of ownership. It's an incident of ownership. The more I look at this, the less I see this as being about taxation, and the more I see it as being about the meaning of citizenship. Well, it's like they're trying to present it as some kind of an exclusive club, really, isn't it? Like, you pay all this money and you get the right to say that you're a member. Well, but, but you know, the problem with that is that, as is frequently pointed out, usually by people in the tax compliance community, that most Americans abroad, although I think it's a declining number of most, don't owe any U.S. taxes anyway, right? So it's right. Really, I don't think, based on you know, you have to pay to be a member. I mean, wouldn't a poll tax make more sense? I mean, just require every U.S. citizen in the world to pay a fixed amount every year to the U.S.? Oh, they definitely make money that way. Well, wouldn't that make more sense? I mean, it would also be more honest, right? I mean, this has nothing to do with provision of services. <laughs> nothing to do with what you actually have to pay because, you know, many people don't, they don't pay the U.S. government. I mean, they pay their tax compliance people, et cetera. I mean, why not make it, if that's what's going on, something really simple? You know, you want to be a U.S. citizen, you got to pay a thousand bucks a year or something. I mean, wouldn't that be more fun? But if they make it a thousand dollars a year, they'd certainly get their renouncing numbers up too, which is even higher in the initial outset, so they'd probably quite like that. Let's not suggest it to them. <laughs> well, no, no, but I mean, wouldn't this benefit the United States, right? Because, you know, honestly, would you, this may be a little bit strong, okay, but I don't see the United States as having a lot of interest in the well-being of its citizens. Not really. Okay. Not that any one country really does, but I think that in the case of the United States, I think it's you know it's it's somewhat less, right? I mean, so you say, well, to charge a thousand dollars a year, you know, you get the renouncing numbers up. Well, wouldn't that be attractive to the United States because they could collect money on the renunciation fee? Yep, they'd be able to collect an exit tax. Yes, you know, which leads me to my next question for you. I mean, it's not, I mean, the act of renunciation is easy, 
but the whole process and all the you know the residual aspects of it you know can be extremely complicated and i'm wondering you know what you would think of you know perhaps some of the following proposals you know if you look at the situation of dual citizens right say dual australian u.s citizens the problem of u.s it, it's the problem is that and i'm interested in your view of this is that dual d-u-a-l australian american citizenship because the australian the u.s citizenship interferes with the ability to be a good australian citizen you know as you're pointing out in terms of financial planning and stuff like that is really dual d-u-e-l citizenship right <laughs> it's not dual citizenship or the fact of dual citizenship turns into the dual D-U-E-L yes citizenship, right Good one, John. That's a good one. <laughs> well, no, I was not intended to be a joke. I think it's just the simple fact of the matter here, right? But so, right. you know, I wonder, when I'm looking at solutions to this problem, what about getting, you know, what about a country like Australia? I mean, we know that the United States is perfectly happy to collect money off renunciations, okay? In fact, wouldn't it make sense for the U.S. to simply raise the renunciation or, you know, go in as a, as a revenue offset provision, you know, to fund another bill? Why don't we just raise the cost of renouncing U.S. citizenship, right? In other words, they recognize this as sort of, you know, something, you know, they realize that not being a U.S. citizen has value, so they're going to charge, for it, right? Right. What if the Australian government would go to the U.S. government and say, you know, We'd like to buy our we'd like to buy our citizens from you that are D U E L also U.S. citizens. We'd like to buy them buy them back, sort of a buyback program, the Great Australian U.S. Citizen Buyback Program. Well, what what do you think about that? Well, we'd have to talk to the current Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, aka Albo, and let's see what Albo has to say about it. But In my experiences, the Australian government can be somewhat cheap skates on these types of things too, so they may not be too much assistance. Well, what if you were to promote it this way? You say, well, look, you know, we realize that, you know, this buyback thing, right, would be, you know, we don't want this to come out of Australian public funds. So what if you were to extend a loan to U.S. citizens and they could sort of pay that back over a 10-year period or something? Because look, on a buyback, right? 2350 a person, you know, because a buyback gets rid of all the, I mean, we know how expensive renunciation is, you know, how much it costs the U.S. government, you know, to go in there for five minutes. This is tens of thousands of dollars that they're offering at a discount. Anyway, I'm sure that's, you know, their point of view. I mean, what about, you know, offering, doing a buyback program at a discounted rate? Well, if the Australian government were willing to put out loans for this, might actually get some interest from the American citizens living here. Well, I mean, I'm trying to think of some practical solutions to this. So that's one, right? A government buyout program. And, I mean, I really think that this would have an appeal to the United States. I mean, because it, you know, very much, I think, is consistent with their you know, view of what the human being is, sort of a chattel, you know, to be bought and sold. 
Uh, well, th- this is the history of America, isn't it? Okay. Well, it is. Of course it is. Absolutely. You know, so we got that option. A second option, what do you think about this, right? You know, we've got this delay in renunciations. What if, and there, as far as I can see, there's nothing in the Immigration Nationality Act that would per se prohibit this, that you couldn't work around. What if the renunciation of U.S. citizenship could be, the administration could be subcontracted to the government of Australia, you know, and have group renunciations, things like that? You know, every second Thursday, the Australian government will be hosting a U.S. renunciation session. What would you think about something like that? Could be another good option. Well, I mean, I'm just trying, you know, think of solutions to this problem, right? Yeah. I mean, can you think of, you know, what could you think of? I mean, this is a serious problem, and it has to be dealt with, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, You know, another thing I just thought of, actually, I never thought of this before. What is it? What if the United States were to move to residency-based taxation? Do you think, would that <laughs> That would actually take care of all the problems in one foul swoop, wouldn't it? You're kidding me. <laughs> I know. It's, it's revolutionary. Like, it's only the United States and Eritrea who have this system, and the rest of the world somehow seems to function. Maybe the United States can have a little bit of confidence in resident-based taxation. Just a little bit of confidence. This is very complicated stuff, you know. It is. It is for guys like Biden and Trump and Obama. It's very complicated for them. Well, I mean, do you think that the U.S. government, I mean, we, we agree this is a problem that needs to be solved, right? Right. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, do you think the better resolution would be for i mean don't forget that the, the it's very difficult to get anything done in the united states from a legislative point of view i mean do you, i mean sure a change in the, the tax of the extraterritorial tax or the tax and reporting laws would be fine but wouldn't it be quicker and easier just for the government of australia to do you know the great australian u.s citizen buyback program wouldn't be Or the Australian government could do what, in my opinion, they should have done all along and have a watertight tax treaty and not sign the fact that IGA. Essentially, the Australian government should have gone to bat for US citizens living here. They should have said, no, any US citizen living in Australia is not going to be filing US tax unless they're earning U.S. income. And it's incumbent upon the IRS to find those people, not us. So, no, we're not signing any of it. That's what they should have done. Well, I mean, don't you think, you you put it that way if you want, but what about putting it this way, which I think is, you know, perhaps maybe a touch better, a touch more persuasive. These are Australian citizens and residents. What are you talking about? We're not going to send you information about our citizens and our residents. I don't think anything at all should be sent outside of Australia, not without a good reason. It's one thing if somebody really is an international tax criminal, which we do know those people exist. Side note, I think I've heard of only one person being caught under factor. (laughs) Have you ever met an international tax criminal? Have you ever met one? Not that I know, but I'm guessing people like that probably don't hand out business cards either. So, 
Do you think they'd go to Australia? Absolutely not. Australia is one of the worst heavily taxed places. Why would they ever want to come here? Which begs the question, if, according to the US government, I was born outside of the United States for the express purpose of cheating US tax. Well, you probably Boy, am I bad at it. <laughs> you probably were, weren't you? They called me red-handed. I feel I'm, I'm deliberately chose to be born in Australia simply to avoid US tax. And I, then I later found out that Australia's actually got worse tax. I'm, I'm a hopeless tax cheat. That's all I can say. I'm no good at it. <laughs> well, but you have to understand, Amy, the way the US government would define tax cheat is not do you pay tax, but do you pay tax in the US government? Ah, so the, but isn't the real issue here? Isn't the real issue that everybody in the world should be paying the U.S. government? Isn't that the real issue? I think that is the real issue. Well, let me ask you this as a possible solution. So part of the problem here, the way I see it anyway, for dual, whether you think D-U-A-L or D-U-E-L, you know, is being subject to the tax laws of two countries at once, right? Yes. You think a solution to this might be, I mean, we're looking at this from the point of view of not being the U.S. citizen. Maybe a solution would be for the U.S. to simply pass a law saying that no other country can tax a U.S. citizen. Only the United States can tax U.S. citizens, no other country. So all these U.S. citizens in Australia would cease to pay tax to Australia. They'd pay tax only to the U.S. Absolutely guaranteed. What do you think about that? I think if that got passed, it would be amazing how many, how quickly governments like Australia and other countries would suddenly get into gear. Would suddenly what? They would suddenly all get into gear and realise they do need to actually stand up to the government of the United States. Well, I mean, I, I think that that, that you know, I think that's an interesting solution to this. I mean, think about it for a minute, right? Why should, if citizenship is supposed to be the basis for taxation, right, if that is driving, right, the condition, what it means to trigger tax residency is citizenship. I mean, why should, and because U.S. citizenship is the bestest citizenship in the world, why should any country but the United States be able to tax a U.S. citizen? I mean, doesn't that strike you as unjust? Totally. I'm sure Senator Warren would agree with every single word of that. Absolutely. Right up her rally. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you know, you may think that that's, you know, sort of ridiculous. Do you think that's ridiculous? <laughs> As somebody who is not an American politician, yes. Although, I'm not joking. If you suggest that to Senator Warren, she'd probably be all over it. She'd love that. Well, you know, you have to understand that that's the basis, though, for a very important part of the U.S.-France tax treaty. Okay, I mean, to bring this down to some, you know, some actual reality from that, okay? Because under the U.S.-France tax treaty, you know, basically U.S. citizens who are receiving U.S. and U.S. citizens resident in France who are receiving U.S. investment income are not taxed on that by France. What do you think about that? Because they're U.S. citizens. Ugh. I mean, don't you think that, that once a year all the U.S. citizens in France should 
you know, meet in Congria and some main street in France, hold up their U.S. passports and walk up and down the street laughing at everybody else saying, we're U.S. citizens. We don't, you know, we're exempt from tax on the same time in France. What do you think? <laughs> wow. So this is actually a thing. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's not common at all, but I mean, this is, you know, very much the basis of, you know, of this, this U.S.-France tax treaty, right? Mm. Well, I mean, don't you think that? Don't you think that maybe the thing to do is uh, go to the U.S. government and say, "Well, you know, why does only France get something? You know, why can't why can't you negotiate such a thing with Australia as well?" Well, ultimately, it should just be you pay tax where you live, and if that means you lose certain benefits from the American side of it. Well, so be it. But ultimately, you pay. You should just pay tax where you live and where you're earning, and nothing else should ever come into it. That's what I think. But well, that, that, that apparently is what is what most of the world thinks. But you know, we you know we have there's a presidential election this year. You heard about that coming up? Oh yes, I actually attended a Zoom meeting with one of the candidates for the Democratic Party. The Democrats abroad organized a Zoom meeting with Dean, excuse me, what's his, <laughs> Dean Phillips. And I was very impressed with him, actually. In fact, I was impressed with that entire meeting. That was one of the first questions that Dean was asked. What does he think about this situation? And he was very forthright and he said, he thinks that resident-based taxation should be what, what's happening here. That's what he thinks. It should be that way. He doesn't think it's fair that we should be filing tax, paying tax on things that we've never even earned in the United States. We earned it elsewhere. Now, 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 you, now you realize that that is in complete and total opposition to the Democrats like Warren, Wyden, Schumer. What does somebody like Wyden or Schumer or Warren have to say about somebody like Dean? I mean, what I find even more interesting, though, John, is Democrats abroad have been chasing the abroad vote for longer than I've been involved in this fight, yet they keep pushing forward President Biden. President Biden has done nothing for us in the four years that he's been in power, well, almost four years. And prior to that, he was Obama's VP for eight years or something. He was the whole eight years, was he? I don't know. But Biden is no friend to U.S. citizens abroad. Why should U.S. citizens abroad vote for Joe Biden? I can think of no reason. Yet here we have a candidate representing the Democratic Party who will you know, offer some kind of things that are aligned with what citizens abroad need, wouldn't it make sense for that to be the candidate that is pushed towards citizens abroad? I would think so, but that's not been the case. I've actually been really shocked that Dean has not had a better pedestal. Because I'll, I'll say I'm not going to endorse Joe, Joe Biden. No way. Why should I? Well, I mean, why do you think that? Why do you think that the Democrats abroad seriously takes the position 
that uh, U.S. citizens should just vote for just vote for the Democrats without regard to anything else. Well, that's kind of a contentious issue there, John. But my take on it is a lot of these. Well, people, what is what is contentious about the issue? What do you mean by that? I'm going to have to basically point some fingers here. I think that a lot of these people do not want to take on head office. Now, the Democrat official policy, as far as I can tell, is they are very much in favour of citizenship taxation. They have done nothing but endorse Obama for, like, years since he was even president. He's just been president for years, and they still sing his praises. They did not stand up to that man when he passed the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act. They've endorsed Joe Biden repeatedly, despite the fact he must obviously have been part of that process. Therefore, I'm going to say I think that citizenship taxation is Democrat policy. That's how it appears to me. Now, somebody like Dean Phillips will struggle to get the platform with these people because he's, he's essentially going against head office when he makes statements like that. If he passes resident-based taxation in his role as president, should he get it, it would be very difficult for them to ever get that back. And they want that back. And they seem to have the view that because we're filing tax in the United States, that we should then be willing to vote. It doesn't work like that. Well, let me pause you on that for a minute, okay? This is something that, that I find very, very interesting. I mean, a number of levels. I mean, like clockwork, you know, we, the D, the Democrats have brought machine, getting themselves together, you know, that go out and essentially farm votes from abroad. I mean, part of yes. this is that they're not, they're not talking to people who identify as being Americans, okay? What they're doing is trying to uncover America. So, you know, were you born in the United States? So, look, you can vote, you know, you should vote for it. So, they're trying to, they're essentially trying to get people to vote in American elections who do not relate to being American generally, certainly do not relate to anything having to do with the state they're voting. No, they're not. Manufacture votes. This is, and no reasonable argument can be made to the contrary. Democrats abroad is an organization that's going out in the world trying to identify and uncover people who might be U.S. citizens because of birth, and if so, to get them to vote for the Democrats, okay? Now, you know, and now that's okay. That's okay or not okay, depending on your point of view. But what I think is important is to recognize that that's what's going on and then make your judgment, you know, as to whether that's okay or not. Now, let's look at this from the point of view of, you know, the Democrats were, oh, my God, look, you know, you wonderful Democrats abroad, you were responsible for the 2020 victory in Georgia and Arizona. So you've accomplished this. Now, let's look at this from the point of view of somebody in Georgia or Arizona who kind of lives there, right? Yes, and knows what the issues are. Wouldn't they see this as essentially foreign interference in a U.S. election? That's how I would see it. And I personally don't even want to vote in U.S. elections for that exact reason. I have never lived there. 
I don't really understand that much about the voting system in America anyway. And I don't understand the issues that are a problem at the grassroots level. I don't understand what could go right or what could go wrong should I vote a certain way. All I know as essentially an outsider is this candidate's all right, don't really like that one, but it's really, it's no skin off my nose who the Americans vote for. I will never pay the price except when they start exporting it through things like citizenship taxation and the foreign accounts tax compliance. And interestingly, though, it is very, very, very clear that Democrats abroad does not want people voting on the basis of issues that do affect Americans abroad, like factor or uh, citizenship taxation, right? It's That's though, right. Well, the ignoring all that, but let's not even, let's <laughs> just here. But well, let me ask you point blank. You think that Americans abroad should be allowed to vote in U.S. elections? No. I agree with you. I agree with you. Do you do you think that do you agree with my description of what Democrats abroad is doing? Yes. Oh. It's been my observation too. So what can we call with that why don't we call that the offshore vote? <laughs> yep. I mean the offshore vote. Eight offshore accounts. How is the offshore vote sort of okay then? <laughs> That's well, right. Going to Arizona and Georgia and say, you know, the outcome of the last election was influenced by the offshore vote. Well, if a dual Australian citizen who never lived in Australia was voting in our elections, which, side note, I actually don't even know whether that's legal or not, but if they did and it influenced the outcome that I'm the one that has to live with, I would be furious. I think that's right. What, what do you think? I was thinking about this a lot last week. I wrote a post about this woman named Phyllis Michaud. I'll send you the, you know, you can find the link. I think you might find it interesting. It was what about an American who was married to a, a French citizen resident, lived her life in France, and, you know, did some tremendous uh, work in changing citizenship laws so that her children and children of others could be, could become U.S. citizens. Because remember that 14th Amendment citizenship does not apply to people who were born outside the United States, right? Mm. Uh, so, you know, this is a problem. And also, interesting, there's a long description. Sorry, remind me, what is the 14th Amendment again? Well, it's everyone born or naturalized in the United States is a U.S. citizen. It's a constitutional right to U.S. citizenship. Okay. Right. But if you're, if you're born to a U.S. citizen abroad parent, you don't have that constitutional right. You have a statutory right in certain circumstances, right? Not a constitutional right. And up until 76, assuming that the history of this is correct, <laughs> Americans abroad did not have the right to vote. By the way, I don't know if you're aware of this. Here, trivia question. Or right. Yes or no. Do American citizens have a constitutional right to vote in U.S. federal elections? I'm going to guess with yes, they do. Okay, you guessed wrong. Would you guess again? <laughs> well, there's only a 50% chance the other one, so I'm just going to have to say no. <laughs> exactly. They don't. They don't, right? And, you know, because it's all, it's all, 
you know, now I don't want to get into a food fight on this, but that that is the truth, okay? I mean, there's some kind of that prevent discrimination, but no American citizen has the right to vote anyway. And really? Fact, I had no idea. Well, you know, as Margaret Thatcher used to say, America is that great citadel of freedom and democracy. You know, it, it's an well, what it is, okay, it's it's indicative of a constitution that's you know that's so old, right? I mean, it's completely out of touch with uh, you know anything anything at all that's going on in the world today. But anyway. So prior to, I think it was January 2nd, 1976, this President Ford signs this bill in the law, this thing in the law. Essentially, the, they describe it as giving American citizens overseas the right to vote. I, I wouldn't call it that if you actually read it. I think what it, it's a non-discrimination provision. They can't be discriminated against in whatever rights there may be to vote. But, but the point I'm making here is that at that time, the whole idea of who was an overseas American, these people really did have a connection in the United States. I mean, Phyllis Misho was, you know, living out her lives in America and organizing American, you know, clubs and, you know, all this. I mean, these people really thought of themselves as Americans. I mean, I think that my, my personal view is that because of the, you know, the issues I've raised, I don't think people should be able to vote in places they don't live. That's my view. Okay. My view. Uh, but I understand that, you know, that's my view and, and there are reasons for disagreement. But it's reached the point of absurdity because, you know, there are so many people who are U.S. citizens now because of changes in citizenship laws that the voting has become an absolute farce. And so you get, like in Canada, for example, and this is absolutely hilarious, right? Democrats have brought us some little car they drive around, you know, advertising voting on the side. I've seen the photos of that car. My word, that is hilarious. Well, you've seen them, have you? I've seen the photos. If I ever see it in Australia, I'm going to run and hide. Do not want. No, <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. You know, so I mean, what, they, what they're really doing is, I mean, they're really, essentially, the vote has now been weaponized, right? I would say that's a good description of it. The offshore vote. The offshore vote. Yeah, yeah. well. They don't like offshore accounts, but they seem to like an offshore vote, don't they? Well, well, it's a bit I, hypocritical, isn't it? Well, you know, they'll, they'll take they'll take any vote they can get, you know, obviously. But I think this is, I think it's a really serious problem. And another problem with this is that for people to be Americans abroad, be voting for Democrats, unfortunately, is to be voting against their fellow citizens and residents in their country of residence. Because of the support of fact and citizenship taxation. That is true. However, I've been a little bit dismayed with the Republican Party on that front as well. Why didn't President Trump, you know, go back on the Foreign Accounts Tax Compliance Act? He bagged out Obama and a lot of other things. Why didn't he go for that too? It's only fair. And... I agree. I think I think that the Republicans could could have and should have and you know and can do an awful lot more. But I would point out, and I, I agree with you completely. I agree that all all these both say all both these parties, you know, are complicit in this in some way or another. But the Republicans are not out trying to manufacture votes. That is a key difference there. But as a U.S. citizen abroad looking to 
you know, live as normal life as possible in the country I was actually born in, you know, I'm under pressure to vote. If I was to vote for my own best interests, should I vote for a Democrat or a Republican? I can see neither one of them. And this well, is where... What about a writing vote? You register to vote, and, and then you write it in something like, who would you like to vote for? How about Keith Redmond? Hey, I'd vote for Keith. <laughs> He's good. Let's vote for Keith. Well, well, there you go. I mean, maybe maybe Keith Redmond should become the sort of uh, the official candidate for president for Americans abroad. What do you think? He can do a great job at it. <laughs> Not sure he'd be too happy about it, but I think he'd be good at it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the reality of this is, you know, is how to make effective use of your vote. Now, you know, on the one extreme, we have not voting, and I, I agree that that's prob probably not optimal. Well, okay, let me put this way. The one extreme, we have not registering at all, right, or whatever you have to do. But, I mean, it's possible to register. People will know you've registered, I think, probably. Once you've registered, you've identified yourself as a potential voter. So if you've registered, what's the best way to use the vote to try to get the results you want? Okay. And, you know, the point you make is that, well, you know, either way, it's not likely to be helpful to vote for the Democrats for the Republicans. But maybe you communicate a message by voting for a write-in candidate. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But do you, I, I have the impression, okay, that from the point of view of a lot of people, that there's sort of citizenship taxation is justified because Americans abroad have a right to vote, right? You get, you get, do you see that from time to time or, you know, some flip? Yeah. And I think that that's one of the reasons why some individuals are reluctant to get rid of citizenship taxation, they prefer to amend it because if we can be taxed on something or at least have a filing obligation, then they can justify giving us the right to vote, which then increases the probability that we would vote for whatever is on their agenda. So I think, I think we're basically just being, we're a tool to be used by these people. We are not voters that they appreciate. We are tools that they are using. They're using and abusing you. Yeah, pretty much. And this is evident by the fact that so few of them really bother to listen. Like I was very impressed that night with the Dean Phillips. Well, it was not time for me. It was about 2 in the morning. I was on holidays at the time in my defence. <laughs> I was not staying up while being at work the next day. But I was impressed with how that was run. The question was at the front of the meeting. It was tackled head on. He didn't shy away from it. But you think back to 2022 when they had that general meeting. That was when I signed up as Dems Abroad because I wanted to join that meeting because they were going to vote on whether to go for FATCA amendment or FATCA repeal. And I spoke then to the Australian candidate or member, really, for Dems Abroad, and he said he was going to vote for FATCA repeal. So I came to that meeting with the intention of offering support there. I mean, in any way available, but importantly, I wanted to hear 
Americans abroad voting that down, even if it was symbolic. But the vote never happened. It never even happened. So that shows the lack of respect for the issues faced by voters abroad, and yet they want us to vote for them anyway when they literally slapped us in the face like that that day. Nobody's forgotten that. Oh, I think everybody's forgotten that, actually. I mean, it makes me wonder, and I think we should probably close in a minute. It's been a great talk, but it's been over an hour now. But do yes. you secretly, Amy, I'm beginning to wonder, do you think that secretly Americans abroad love citizenship taxation because from their point of view, they feel that it validates the value of their U.S. citizenship? I mean, citizens of other countries in the world aren't even worth taxing. They're so worthless. What do you think? <laughs> it's entirely possible that there are some people who are like that. But honestly, I think a lot of these people who refuse to stand up against it are either afraid of repercussions or the ones who've actually got the platform but refuse to use the platform, those people are the ones I'm the most frustrated with because, like as I said probably for the 10th time in the past hour, they want our vote but they don't want to change the policies that are harming us. Okay. Well put, well put. Repeat that. They want our vote, but they... Don't want to change the policies that harm us. So do you think... You think it's a good idea to vote for them then? In other words, if that's true, isn't a vote for them a vote against yourself? That's, you know what, that's exactly what I have said to so many people. Now, we get all these different ones saying to us on social media, various comments such as, but America's got a lot of messes and problems at the moment. Can't you put your own issue aside? No. Vote no. in favour of that. No. 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 Because there will always be problems in the world. There will always be things happening. At what point does our thing ever get to the front? Never. Never. We will not unless we know you're going to vote for them anyway. That's right. It is, it is a big problem. I'm sorry, but no, I will, I will not endorse Joe Biden with this attitude towards us that he seems to have, nor will I endorse Donald Trump with his attitude towards us that he seems to have. Yet here I am being told by the powers that be that I must vote from abroad because it's a vote wasted unless I do. I'm not voting for anybody who's going to harm me. I'd rather waste the vote than do that. Would you do a write-in vote? I don't know, maybe. That's that's a dumb question. That's where you write somebody's name on the piece of paper and send it in, just any old name. I don't know, something like that. Maybe I should vote for Eric Cartman. Maybe I should vote for Roma Simpson, Marge Simpson. Hmm. You know, it's been a great discussion today. We haven't talked for quite a while, so really appreciate this opportunity to catch up. We think there ought to be a TV show, Keeping Up with Amy from Sydney or something. <laughs> but, you know, as I listen to you talk, I mean, you are one of Australia's greatest citizens. Here you are standing up for Australia. By pointing out how the U.S. government generally, and the Democratic Party in particular, is essentially causing harm to your country. Yes. 
Annie, you are a national treasure. You are a national oh. treasure. <laughs> Thank you, John. If I had my fucking Australian flag in the next room, if I had it on the way, you could get right now. <laughs> yeah, I can ask you one more question before we sign off for today. Usually on our podcast, you either are or have been drinking wine. Have you had any wine today? Oh, no, I haven't. So I guess I'm off my game. <laughs> no, no, either way, it's all great. But I'm suggesting that uh, maybe you should go out and get some wine. Maybe I should have a wine. <laughs> all right. Any any closing comments, thoughts? Just thank you for again for taking the time and for meeting me at such short notice. It was, it was a bit impromptu, but I think it's been very good. Thank you, John. It's been a lot of fun, and I, you know, it's funny. It took me like three or four podcasts to see you for who you really are. You are Australia's national treasure. I think there's no. <laughs> You're Canada's national treasure. <laughs> Thank All you. right. Any, any final thoughts? Anything you want to say before we we should do one of the more? But I think I think you should. You know, I think you should actually have a pod. There should be a podcast keeping up with Amy from Sydney. <laughs> That would be funny. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Anything more for today or shall we sign off for now? Sign off for now. Take All care of right. Thank you very much. And once again, I am catching up today with the infamous Amy from Sydney, Australia's national treasure. Boom, boom. <laughs>